Hi, I'm Miss Dares Geek, and welcome to the second episode of Equivox Unplugged, a series that aims to educate, amplify, and empower the next generation of gaming and pop culture professionals and creators. So today I have with me Ken Leandri, the CEO and founder of Kakucho Pure, who has more than a decade of experience in gaming and esports. He's been an esports consultant for the Asian Electronic Sports Federation, the editor-in-chief for IGN Southeast Asia, and the general manager for Team Malaysia in Overwatch World Cup 2018. I'm really excited to speak with Ken because he's got vast experience not only in gaming and esports, but also experience in the Asian market and the insights he's able to share about this industry in this region is going to be really valuable, especially in the conversation we have today. So welcome, Ken. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I mean, it's it's interesting and quite excited to see what we can come up with today. Awesome. Well, um, obviously, you and I work together in um, trying to grow Kakucho Parade, but um, I was just wondering, just just so the audience know and the listeners know, what is Kakucho Parade? So Kakucho Parade is, uh, when you translate it to Japanese, it means extended play. So Kakucho means extended. Pure is basically katakana for play. So Pure, remember Pure Station? Back in oh, the day, yes. so, yeah, so that's how we derived it. And um, basically, Kakucho Pure is my, you can say my project after I left IGN back in the day because I felt that I had a lot of other stuff, things to do to, to contribute. So that's my extended play in the scene. And also, that's, you know, there are different contexts about you know, what's the extension of play. So Kakucho Pure. That's really cool. So let's just go back a little bit because we talked about, you know, the extension of play, but what about your beginnings? So what inspired you to, you know, start in gaming and esports and how how did you even start in this industry? Okay, so it's going to sound a bit cliched when you talk to people in the games media, they say, you know, I've played video games since I was a kid and stuff and whatnot. But um, yeah, I did. But my I didn't study journalism. I my degree, my bachelor's degree is in biotechnology, marine biotechnology actually. So, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so when I graduated, so during uni I played a lot of games. I enjoyed writing. I saw myself as a fairly decent writer. Uh, but the marine biotechnology degree, it's fun on the science side of things, but it's it can be dull. So uh, after I graduated, I, I was a marine consultant for a while. I did patents for a while. I wrote patents for intellectual property firms. It's fun to write, but it can get boring. And having a science degree, you know, you, you're kind of limited to that, right? So when it came, so there, there was an opportunity where I decided, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with science. So I, I just sent out applications and I started working. I, I was accepted as a junior writer at a, a mail magazine. It's like a, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it was a mail magazine, but they were the geeky side. It's more of a Wired rather than Maxim or B, uh, FHM. Okay. Yeah, so when when I joined, I liked, uh, I, I was given the geeky bit. So we extended on tech, uh, comics, movies, uh, and obviously video games. So when I came in, we only had like a small bracket of geeky shit. And then by the time I left, which is a year and a half later, we had maybe 10 pages of geeky stuff. 
So we have collectibles, video games, toys, action figures, pop culture. And uh, the reason I left was because IGN was opening an office in uh, in Asia Pacific. So that was in 2012. In 2012, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Back, back. So at that time, IGN was expanding their business. Uh, they at that time there was just UK, US, and Australia, the main big ones. But they were opening a lot of um, offices around the world, Middle East, and APEC was one of them. So fun tip, fun part about APEC, their their headquarters is in Kuala Lumpur in TTDI. <laughs> yeah, so it of all places, right? So it's by happen. So by happenstance, uh, you know, a friend was, re- uh, you know, I was referred by a friend, went to speak with the guy who was handling it, and I said, like, okay, fine. The interview went very well. I was offered on the spot. Wow. Yeah. So um. So yeah. after so after serving maybe a few months notice, and then uh, I took over as a first English editor of IGN APEC. Oh in, wow. Okay. 20, yeah, around April or May 2012. So I was so I was there for five years. So, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. I guess cool on on a number of points because I didn't know that the headquarters was in TTDI, like of all places. I would have expected Singapore, not Kuala Lumpur. Yep. And mm. and when, when people heard it's in Malaysia and they were surprised. They were they were like, okay, when people saw my name, like, are you Malaysian even? So uh, as as the IGN headquarters for A- that time is APEC. There's no IGN China. There's no IGN Japan. There's no uh, IGN India. There's only IGN APEC, and it uh, started with English. So we had to build it from ground up. It's so much better nowadays the current IGN. But back in the day, because it it was learning, you know, it it was a steep learning curve, growing pains, and um, so over the years, uh, we, you know come up with news, interviews, and stuff like that. And in uh, 2017, after exactly five years with IGN, I left. Because, yeah, So the reason I left was because I felt when you work for a big brand, it's great. But the problem, I would call it the problem, but there is always a ceiling on what you can and cannot do because it's like a corporate structure, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I am a football fan. I enjoy competitive sports and Video video game being competitive, so esports obviously, mm. and and back in the day, I think until now as well, IGN isn't much of a thing about reporting esports. Yeah, that's true. So when mm. I left, uh, when I started Kakuchopure, I felt that it has to, you know, there are lots of gaps in the scene. People people tend to be afraid, say, "Oh no, why am I jumping into the scene when there's a big player in IGN?" Mm. You don't need to fight fire with fire. Yeah, you have to under when if you under when you understand the market when you look at the market, you know there are a lot of unfulfilled stories, unfulfilled sto- you know, points that need to be brought up, mm. stories that haven't been told or haven't been shared, and that's that's always been the idea of Kakuchopure, you know, giving the voice to the small guys, uh, yeah. helping helping uh, smaller outlets or outlets you know around our same size to grow each uh, together. And um, that's what we started with, and that's how we are until today. Okay, so essentially, Kakuchopuri started, and you founded it because of those gaps that you know, like no one was really talking about esports from like a media publication side. But also, correct me if I'm wrong, but also from a grassroots events side of things, no Especially- one was doing that. 
especially in Asia as well, because when, when people saw IGN open shop here, everyone wanted to, oh yeah, let's talk about triple A, triple A, triple A, all the big games. And then they tend to forget the smaller, uh, you know, the smaller studios, the local studios, the local developers. So when I look at it, I'm like, okay, when I was at IGN, I wanted to do that as well. You know, we, you know, you know, a lot of friends, uh, a lot of uh, local developers that could use our support. But at the end of the day, different size of publications have different uh, focus. And as as an editor at IGN, I can only do so much. I cannot direct. I, you know, I, I, I can only do as much as I could. Um, what, what do they say? You want, to, you want to steer the ship, get your own ship. And uh, so that basically, that's, that's what happened, right? And uh, yeah. yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah. And that's what turned out. So then going back to your role at IGN, so you obviously went from being a writer, doing all the geeky stuff, straight into becoming the, the editor for IGN. What was that sort of like, though? Like, was it because of your your portfolio of written work that you could go then and get the job as an editor? Like, obviously, for example, I, I do a lot of writing. I've done a lot of writing, but I don't feel I'm capable to go and get a job as an editor. So how did that happen, do you think? Like, what was it about your work prior to IGN that gave you that, one up to become an editor. All right. So when I was at that mail magazine before I went prior to IGN, right? Um, I was lucky enough to to study under two really really experienced and um, you know very you know very willing to share assistant editor and editor at that magazine. So I learned a lot in terms of how to put it. If you if you get a story, you know you said this is a pen. You write about the pen. Everyone's gonna write about the same thing. You know when you look at it, everyone's gonna write about it. So my task is to make sure that my writing stands out from everyone else. So the idea is, when I write something, it has to bring something new. So that is my that that's always been my mantra when I create my stories or when I write my stories when I do my research, and it goes down to my interviews. So I built, I, I, I feel I built this niche for myself where if I am interviewing someone and I can bring up this information from them that wouldn't have been gotten from anyone else. It's, I, I do feel that I was able to bleed stone, you know, bleed something out of a stone from a, a tough interview or whatever. So I've built it over the years. And then when I went to IGN, I brought that same approach. Uh, because Asian media in general, I don't know, I, I hope it changed you know, over time, but back in the day, Asian media, even the English-speaking ones or even the non-English-speaking ones, Asians tend to be very conservative. Mm, yeah, you know, safe, definitely. Safe questions. They don't want to come up with those hard questions. And they, uh, they fear that, oh no, if I'm going to put this guy in a situation, they won't invite me anymore. So yeah. people people forget yeah. that there are no hard questions. There are only unprepared subjects. <laughs> you know, if, if it's about preparation. If you don't come in prepared, you will you will struggle. So when I when when we when I approach interviews, my question has always been about asking stuff that has never been asked before. 
but that doesn't mean asking stupid questions. It's basically coming in well-equipped, knowing what that person is excited to talk about and has never been asked. So, okay. uh, so, so over time, I brought it that skill from the magazine. I brought it to you know IGN. You know, asking all these tough, heavy but fair questions. So that is how you stand out. Because if you go into a room, I've been I've been to countless rooms at E3, at TGS, and everything, and everyone's asking the same questions that you've already read online. What yeah. is the, what is the point? And and half of the rooms are there. They were on probably like sponsored flights and whatnot. And all they did is just record and take other people's questions and answers. So if 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 you go if you want to stand out, you have to be the one that shows. Look, I am here to do my job, and I am here to stand out with my good questions. And if you feel that you're gonna take over that whole room with your questions by bantering with the subject, go ahead. So, so over time, uh, I feel that by 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 doing that, you know, getting good questions, getting good answers, uh, standing out uh, by you know with this strategy, uh, kind of set us apart. Because there was there there was this weight of you know, it's IGN, you know, it's not a small publication. So I had to put in two three times the effort, and throughout that period. Thankfully, thankfully, people, you know, the industry start to know me better. So, oh, okay, this is Ken, the guy with the hard questions, or you know, oh, he's gonna grill us. <laughs> it just, it, it, I, I kind of built that reputation, but not for the wrong reasons. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 So, so over time, it, uh, you know, it, 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 it snowballs, and then the ability to maybe foresight. Being in the industry for a while, you can start to anticipate what's going to be, uh, you know, you have to understand your readers or at least try to put yourself in the shoes of the people you are writing for or creating for. Hmm. Right? I'm, I'm a gamer. If, I'm a, if, I, if I do, can't give a shit about what I'm talking about now, why should other people give a shit about what I'm going to be talking about? Yeah, that's very true. You know, when, when you ask a question and then you go in half-heartedly, why would your readers care about the answer? Mm. Right? You're not yeah. you you you're just like another gamer. If you feel yourself like I'm just another gamer, then I should be excited about the answer that's coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so those uh, combination of all those approaches over the years and uh, a bit of uh, brazenness like I think being an Asian Asians tend to be seen as being very meek and quiet. Mm. But for us, uh, like John and I, I mean, John, my business partner, my co-founder of Kakuchupure as well, um, we've built this reputation as, oh, those are the two noisy Asian boys again, asking all those questions. Uh, but our, you know, when we ask our questions, we get half of the time slot because they keep on talking. They keep on, you know, there is a flow to our questions and there are lots of information coming out. So, so all the brands, the, the one that, that, that worked with us before, they understand. Doesn't matter whether it's EA, whether it's Ubisoft, whether it's Wargaming, 2K, whatever. When they have you for that special junket or whatnot, uh, they are hoping to get something good that's going to reflect well on them as well. Yeah. Right. And when 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 half of the when half of the scene that they've invited, they just sit there and just waiting for whatever's given. That's not great. 
Yeah. And and funnily yeah. enough, it, it makes even my it makes my work even easier. It's like you guys are not doing your job. I'm just doing my job. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, funnily enough, it's easier to stand out weird, it, weirdly. Uh, but that wasn't my intention. My intention is to go in, make my time there worthwhile, and then get out with the best answers that I could. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like what you said, right? Like there's so many publications today. There's so many, for example, even content creators, there's so many people asking the same questions all the time. And I think, you know, now that you've mentioned that, I'm also like, oh gosh, is my interview questions for you going to be the same, same kind of questions? Yeah, yeah. But it's really important to, to realize like when you position yourself, how do you stand out? So I think what you just said is really important to remember because I know working with you, when I've come to you with ideas for Kakuchopere, you've always reminded me like, okay, we need to stand out. How can we add more value to this? How can we get something out of it that no one else is going to approach? Because then, like you said, people will actually care and it's it drives more people to read your content as opposed to someone else. Yeah. So that, I think that's that's really important. And I think... I don't think anyone has said that, to be honest, in terms of like explaining how to to stand out. Mm. Most mean, people say, you know, find find something different, but like, how do you be different? No, because if you if you are able to put yourself into the shoes of your readership, of the people who are consuming your content, it's their valuable time. Mm. That five to ten minutes to read your article or to watch your video or to listen to your podcast, it's ten minutes they will never get back. So it has to be something that's worth their time. Yeah. If uh, at that time the the hottest bit was remember those thing on Reddit, where uh, Buzzfeed Buzzfeed was. Oh uh, yes. And, and people were resorting to just using gifs, listicles, and gifs and whatnot. Yes, it brings in the clicks, but. Do you give any value to your readers? Do you give any value to yourself? And five years, five years down the road, will this content be something you'll be proud to share? Mm. Yeah. You, rea- you realize a lot of content creators nowadays, oh, show me your best writing. They have nothing to show or they are embarrassed to show. Show me your best videos. They are embarrassed to show because they are not proud of what they've produced. You know, so so that, that that comes back to that to to your personality as well, right? To say, okay, you know, this is something that I have to be proud of, to have my name on the byline, hmm. and to have my even my articles quoted on Wikipedia or someone other you know other people's you know uh, written stuff. That that brings you know self fulfillment to me. Yeah, definitely. So then leading into that, so we know now how you went from a writer to then working with IGN. How did you end up being a general manager for Team Malaysia for the Overwatch World Cup in 2018? Like, to me, I would never put those two together. How did you, you know, transition that way or or even sidestep that way? Okay. All right. So, So as you can see, the time frame, right, between 2017 until now. I was running Kakuchopure. So yes. 2018 is during the rough years for Kakuchopure, during the early years where it's just me solo soloing it, right? Mm. And back then, my, my go-to game was Overwatch. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I played lots of Overwatch. I have my, I, you know, I have my, my daily squad that we play together. Just, that's during the height of Overwatch before it was 
killed. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, anyway, so they that that year the Overwatch League was really going up. It was up there. No one thought it's gonna be the trash fire it is now. Uh, and then the Overwatch, the second Overwatch World Cup was being pushed, and I figured, hey, you know what? Why don't just apply? That 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 time was through application and then votes, and. During that time, I have already built my brand as you know Ken IGN. People know Ken as IGN, and now Ken is running Kakuchopure. Uh, during our first few years of Kakuchopure, we've like I said, you know, ask the hard questions, stand out, try to get the good interviews, good subject to interview. So around 2018, around that time, this goes way back. You you remember the minister minister of youth and sports back then was Said Sadik. Oh yes, yeah. In Malaysia, and he was mm-hmm. championing esports. Remember? Mm. Yeah. So I that I see esports as like a esports in Malaysia to me that back then and until now, it's like Malaysian football, where so much promise, so little being done. So I was very I was very very critical. I was very critical of the esports scene, because people just they just focus on a handful of games, and uh, people believe by just throwing money at brands. Uh, instead of thinking about the grassroots, things will work. So uh, I thought, okay, lah, put put my mouth where my you know put my myself where my mouth is, right? And I said, okay, fine, I'll apply as GM for Team Overwatch for Malaysia hmm. because we also realize there has always been an issue about funding. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, kids who qualify for international tournaments and un- and were unable to go because they couldn't okay. get it. And mm. uh, people said, no, 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 no. It's not. It's you. You're just talking to the wall, Ken. It doesn't happen. So I said, well, I, 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 I hope to change it. So I applied, mm. and yeah, it hit me like a ton of bricks because. So I applied, and then finally by vote I won. Okay. As as a GM for Team Overwatch Malaysia, so uh, as GM, we you know I, I was tasked in one is working with my team, with the coaches and whatever, either electing the coach through the community and then getting the, ble- the best players. And then the most important thing, funding to send these kids, uh, five, four, six, eight of them, to the US to compete live in the World Cup. Hmm. Uh, and it, uh, we required at least 100K to send that many people because flights aren't cheap. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Mm. And 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 that's the thing because people don't think about Overwatch back then. People only think about a handful of games, CS, and that's it. Mobile Legends wasn't even up, so mm, it was true. it was an eye opener to everyone and myself as well that um, esports federation or esports management in Malaysia was still way back. So um, I said, okay lah, fine. I'll I'll take the hit, but we need to show that look. Even though we get to the World Cup. The people who are running the esports federations in Malaysia don't know what they're doing. They don't see the value yet. They only think about oh, let's host big things in Malaysia, but they don't think about player welfare. So uh, it 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 became quite a we because we were unable to gather the funds, so we had to turn down. We weren't unable. No. To, we were unable to go to the to the states for the tournament, but to raise money. We did something that every other country that was participating copied us. Oh, okay. All right. So people were like, "Oh, how do we raise money?" Right. Every uh, I was talking to all the GMs from all the other participating countries, and they were like, "How do we make money?" 
And immediately I said, you know what? This is what Malaysia is going to do. We are going to design. Uh, because when, when we were told, oh, Overwatch World Cup teams cannot wear their own uniforms. They will be given a jersey. And said, so are we, are we going to get anything from the, any cut? They said, no. So I said, what about walkout jerseys or shirts that our players can wear during promotions? I said, oh, yeah, that's up to you. So, okay. I, so we designed a jersey for the team Malaysia and we start selling them. Because we know that in Asia, people don't really donate. But if they get something in return, they will. So buy the jersey, proceeds from the jersey goes to our funds or to our players. And then hopefully that can send us to the States. Almost every other countries who were participating in the World Cup followed our idea. Wow. Okay. So we, so we released, oh, look, this is the Malaysia, Team Malaysia's walkout jersey which will be sold and the proceeds go to our funding. A week later, everyone else came with their own and they tried to do the same thing. So, turns out I say, look, Asians don't like ideas. We, 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 you know, when, when, we, when we're pushed to the wall, we will come up with all these ingenious ideas to come up with these solutions, which I think by now people are still copying it by you know, creating team jerseys to be sold in a way to raise funds. So even though it was, uh, yeah, it, it was a failure to send our team to the World Cup, but it was a success story to show that different ways of raising funds and building a community with uh, this one. So the new manager, uh, like we, we have a new manager for Team Overwatch Malaysia this year, but sadly it's only the, the tournaments are being done online. So, okay. so, that, so that, that's, that's there, lah. that's where Overwatch mm. World Cup is. That's so interesting. So, like, in terms of the jerseys, you had to produce it. You had you had to design and then produce it. Did you have any funding to to produce those jerseys, or was that all like like how how did that come about? To be able to sell them, obviously, you need money to make them. Yes. So hmm. it was a it was a community thing. So obviously, um, I use it. I use my own funds to pay the designer and. Uh, what you call it, the, the the jersey designer I paid to, to, to come up with it, but the problem we, about merchandising is stocks, right? You don't want to buy it first and then hope people to this one. So I built this system where I said, you know what, each jersey is customizable and made to order. Okay. So that way we don't have dead stocks. People who are interested, they will put in the order. We got a, like close to a hundred. Close to 100 jerseys being sold. People, you know, with their own name, uh-huh. customizable. There's a Team Malaysia logo and stuff like that. So, so that is how we manage. So we put initial expenditure, which is from my uh, from my own out of po- out of pocket, for the just for the design. But down the road, all the marketing, all this one was through the community, through the Team Overwatch Malaysia community, who were actually very very helpful and very very enthusiastic. Oh, wow. That's so nice. So, I mean, obviously sad that they didn't get to go to the US, but at least the players felt like the community supported them. Yes, that's important. Mm-hmm. And then it also shows everyone else, the brands, uh, you know, other brands who were a bit skeptical about, you know, where this is going and yeah. other games as well, communities from other video games or other esports scenes who saw this and said, oh yeah, that can be done. Why not? So hopefully it kind of give. Uh, no, no matter how small it is, but that little momentum 
or let that trust in everyone that there is there is hope for this team. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting because my next question was going to be around like challenges with starting up, you know, Kakuchopere, supporting the the local esports scene, especially at a grassroots level. And you talked about, you know, the challenges with getting funding. With obviously the team Malaysia, there was that sort of challenge with getting the funding to send them to America. But in terms of setting up Kakuchopere to to the I get extent that it is today and you know, you've worked with a lot of governments, uh, government bodies to have these grassroots esports events. Were there any other challenges that you've faced with, especially being, you know, like on your own, setting all this up and then finding your team members and everything like that? I think the the biggest challenge is continuing forward when you get turned down. I mean, Kakuchopure was basically um, how to put it. Yeah, when when I started Kakuchopure, it's totally out of pocket. It's you know basically used mm-hmm. up all my savings. Yeah. Uh, it's good to have supportive uh, family, supportive people around me. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to. I was trying to build a business, and business doesn't, yeah. you know, care and sentiment and love around you don't pay the bills, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so the idea has always been about stretching as far as we can. Finding our own niche, so when we when we pitch our ideas to sponsors, to partners, and whatnot, we are not repeating what has already been done outside or elsewhere. We are we are being pioneers of this. What we are trying to do. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you an example. When I was at IGN, I've seen lots of gaming events being done. Easiest example is in Singapore, for example. There were so many events in Singapore that Singaporeans take it for granted. Mm. All right, there was an Xbox showcase in the middle of Singapore, and barely fifty or hundred people came because they are so oh. used, they are so used to this event. Yeah, but I had an event as well in Jakarta where only seventy. Well, we only can accommodate seventy, but almost a thousand people came. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they don't get those sort of events often enough. Mm. Same in Malaysia. We only have a limited amount, but more people came because, hey, I want to be part of this. This is, this is back, back in the early 20-teens, yeah? Not, not in 2020 plus. So we know that there's high interest in video game events. There's high demand in video game events, but that's not enough. Not enough events being done. And uh, one of the reasons is, cost. So with the with friends and people that I've been working with when I started Kakuchopure, we want to fill this void. So we can run video game events in the region, make it cost effective, because at the end of the day, we want to bring in people to enjoy and come. Yeah. Alright? And down the road, we uh you know the eventually the money will come. The funding will come, it will grow. But you can't expect to to make profit from day one, day two, or day three. No. You have to have that perseverance to believe in your idea. And your idea shouldn't just be empty. Like it should be like, okay, the reason I believe it's going to work is because of this, supported by this, this, and this. And by, able, by, by being able to come together, several people come together who share that same sentiment, that is how we grew you know, Kakuchopure slowly. We snowball and snowball and snowball. Uh, that is on the event side. 
But on the content side, as I mentioned just now, finding our niche, finding how we stand out. I cannot write 30 news a day if I want yeah. to go, if I want to go toe to toe with IGN. Uh, but what I can do is I can write maybe every other day when I was a, when I was running it solo, right? I can write maybe three or four news today, and within two three days I come up with one feature. A feature article which is timeless, which is still relevant three months, six months, ten months down the road, is more valuable than 30 news. Because once you put 30 news, you know, the next day it's irrelevant, right? Yeah. Yeah. So over time, we build that as well on the content front with Kakucho Pure. He said, yes, I can report on daily news, but we want to create uh, a continuous, you know, stuff where it's evergreen. So yeah. that, that's our content approach. Same with our video approach. But also at the same time, yes, we when, when I am running my own ship, when you are steering your own ship, doesn't matter whether you are running a website or running a podcast or running a YouTube channel, it's a passion project. You, yeah. can, you can do whatever you want because you decide the creative control. But you also have to take a step back and think, is this an, a self-indulgent thing or what is my end goal? So you have to find a good balance because you are building this for yourself and your audience. Yes. Right? And you have mm -hmm. to think about your audience, what will make them happy while at the same time ticking a lot of as many boxes on your list. So there are some stuff that I like that the majority, you know, most, most of the people that are not really fan of or people, people love Final Fantasy, but I'm not a Final Fantasy guy. Oh my gosh, that's blasphemous! <laughs> yes, yes, but, but but you know, you know, some some people will think, oh, I don't care, I I do I don't like Final Fantasy, but I'll still write Final Fantasy because I I, I want to get the clicks and whatnot. Yeah. Does it make you happy, or does you know, yeah, you, you know, it kind of affects your morale in creating it, right? And it will show in the final product. Yes. Yep. So at the end of the day, always find that fine, try to find that fine balance. Um, you you can okay. you can jump on the bandwagon. You can jump on what you think is gonna be hot, but at the end of the day, it should be a content which you are proud of. You're happy, and you're happy to, like I said earlier in the podcast, that proud to say, "Hey, I have my byline in that yeah. five years down the road." Yeah, I think that's really important. Like you touched a very good point there in terms of balancing it, because I find. A lot of creators, a lot of, of people in this industry, they feel like they have to follow the trends. But sometimes following the trends doesn't necessarily mean good content. You, you so did. I think you definitely made a lot of sense there. And speaking of obviously all of everything you've done with, you know, the, the grassroots events, Kakuchopri in general and, and standing out, you currently have a gaming and esports show on national television in Malaysia. Can you talk a bit about that? Like how how did that come about? What inspired Main Game, the the show? Okay, so when you know, so, so here's the thing. People back in the day, if you want to watch, if you want to get video game content, you know, you have to rely on the internet, right? Yes. And, but the thing is if you go to, if you open a browser and you type whatever you're at least by a level of you you you're a core gamer yeah you're a core gamer you 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 know what you're looking for you know what you want you have a specific thing that you're looking for in mind and also there's this mentality uh, perception actually of video games being an elitist activity yeah 
it used to be very expensive back in the day, right? You know, um, you know, if you, if you don't come from a upper middle class family, it's you know, it's going to be very hard to see a console in your house. Yeah. But video games nowadays is very approachable. It's very accessible, and I like to say that esports and video game is like a great leveler because everyone who has access to it, you can compete. And uh, mobile games has mobile games being on phones, Android phones, and cheaper internet has made video games very very accessible. However, the the perception that it being elitist it's still there. So the thing about Asia is people always have this negative connotation about it, and we need to educate the parents. Yes, people, people who play video games our age. People who like video games are just looking into it. Kids, much younger, probably young enough to be my kid even. But thing is, the parents don't understand. So we need to educate them. So we can't expect them to, oh, I'm going to go on the internet, I'm just going to look for StarCraft. I'm going to look for uh, The Last of Us. No, it's not going to happen that way. But I, I thought to myself, what if a kid can say, hey, mom, the TV is talking about esports. This is what I'm playing right now. Or can say, hey, to, uh, you know, this tomorrow morning, there's a show on TV that's going to talk about a career in esports in Malaysia. Tune in. So that would be the best way to get access to people who wouldn't have even thought of looking at video games down the road. Yeah. So through a, a lot of happenstance, I, I got in contact with the director of broadcast of RTM. So RTM is equivalent to the BBC of Malaysia. And okay. It's, it's, yeah. free to, it's free to air TV. Everyone gets it, right? So I spoke. So you know, I I spoke to the guy, and then he said to me, "It's like, what do you have in mind? I mean, you know, what what what's the? I I want because RTM is known as a very old school channel, like right. BBC, like the BBC. So they yeah. want to reinvent. They want to be a bit more, you know, much more relevant, much more up to date, and stuff like that. And I said straight away, I said video games." You want to reach out to people. You want families to get together. You want people of different age and socioeconomic and demographic to understand, get together, or you want to uplift those from the, you know, from the poorer states, from the lower socioeconomic background, to give them a chance to compete video games. You know, there's no segregation by gender. There's no segregation by age. It is relatively cheap to get into. You have a phone. You can play. Uh, but we need to show there's a support, not just from the government, but from everyone around. And he was like, okay, let's get to talk. You know, get to talking. So we got to talking, and then at that time, the title wasn't there yet. So they were like, Ken, what, what, you know, do you have any suggestion for the proposal? And immediately in my head, I said, let's call it main game. Because if you're a core gamer, what's your main game right now? My main game right now is Starfield. Someone's main game is Baldur's Gate. But Mayan main is also Mayan in Malay playing game. So mm, that's yeah. clever. So by doing so, we are not saying, oh, it's just video games is an urban thing. No, video games is for urban, rural, English or Malay, whether you're core or casual, whether you're new or old. So by, by doing so, when people say, hey, you know, is it main game or Mayan game? I was like, that, that's my point. That is my icebreaker. 
So like when you asked me just now how the Kakuchun Pure came about, that's also one of my my initial ideas. It should be the icebreaker. I want people to ask about it. And I also want people to ask, is it main game or mind game? Yeah. So from our first <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when, when now it's uh we are about to air our 13th episode next oh, week. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And all of our episode we figured let's let's make it as accessible as possible. Because a lot of here, here's the thing when when a lot of people when they talk about video games they think everyone understands it the same way they do. Yes. Yeah. Right? When they talk about mm-hmm. video games they start talking about high level stuff. But you forget when you try to talk to the masses you need to educate them first. Then it's like um it's like imagine top gear. I would define main game as top gear but for video games. Right. Because during that, that the, makes sense. Because during the first seasons of Top Gear, they don't talk about exotic cars. They talk about day-to-day cars. Mm. What to look out for when you buy a second-hand car. Or we're talking about a Skoda or a Ford or a Fiat. They didn't talk about Ferraris and Jaguars or Aston Martins because they want people to understand car culture first. Yeah. So for us to make video games as accessible to everyone, our topics on main game is very broad and very... What you call it, mass. So people understand video games first. People understand what it's all about, the history of it, what it takes to be in it, um, and how many local publications are in it. Because the the target market for main game and kakuchopure are very very different. But okay. Yeah. Hopefully down the road they will find a way where they merge. So my my dream is one day we can just create a content one on one on Kakuchop for Kakuchopre YouTube, which is a hundred percent transferable to main game because we've built that understanding or we've built that idea that everyone in Malaysia, you know, you want to raise their awareness of video game to a higher level, right? Rather than so oh, I'm just talking about Super Mario and Pong. So yeah, so that's Makes that's sense. where we were. Yeah. Okay. No, like I think that's such a, a great, I guess, initiative really because you mentioned you know parents like wanting to understand video games, but so many parents even here in Australia they have no idea what video games and esports entail, and they have no way to learn about these things. But if you turn on the TV and you see it on like free to air TV, it's more likely that they will sit and watch rather than have to like you said you know find it on the internet or. Yes having to understand things in a way that it's like high-flown language almost. Exactly. Or, or another language almost. Rather than being force-fed to them, it becomes mm-hmm. much more natural. You know, you just turn on TV and then it just appears. So, and the fun part is our show goes live, uh, you know, as on Saturdays, 11.30 a.m. It's like, it's like Saturday cartoons right there just before lunch. And yeah. then it goes on reruns on Sundays as well. So we figured, okay, we have the platform to educate and make it as accessible and as like you know, you know, very very easy to consume. Mm. So um, so we are very happy with that. RTM is very happy with that. And then, oh, that's uh, good. Yep, yep. So by the time I think this recording goes out, I think we would have announced the uh, renewal of season two. Oh wow! Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Uh, now it, it's just a background uh, fine tuning works and whatnot but uh so season two we we aim to make it better we aim to touch uh, heavier topics and uh we try to make it topical 
for example, for the re- for the whole of August, because in Malaysia it's the Inde- what you call it, Independence Month, right? For Malaysia, yeah. mm. so we decided to focus a lot on Malaysian talent, Malaysian faces, Malaysian esports athletes, Malaysian publishers, because we want our viewers to feel that hey, one of my you know one of us, I can be that. Uh, I, I I can feel relatable to the subject that's being talked about or focused on on TV. Um, we want to create a, a lot of aspir- you know a, an inspiring story, aspirations for you know uh, kids who just picked up their phone to get into mobile. So that yeah. is that is that is our idea behind behind Endgame. Oh, I love it so much because as you know, for me, representation means so much. If I had that growing up in Malaysia. Who knows what I would have gone through as opposed to doing the traditional, you know, go down the medical path and then decided, okay, law then, and then find my way now where I'm doing things in gaming, which, you know, like a lot of kids in in my age group anyway, like they don't pursue what they actually want to pursue. They pursue things based on like stability, security, what their parents tell them is is the ideal job, but also that's because they don't see themselves on TV. They don't see themselves in media. Yeah, you know, and that thing that's the most important thing with why I I do a lot of work in representation is because one day I'm going to have a child who looks just like me, and they're going to look at Twitch and and YouTube and only see a particular type of person. Yeah, and, and you know, as a result. What, what does that mean? Do they then go, oh, I can never make it because, you know, I don't look like that. Yeah. So I think it's it's really powerful that that seeing yourself on screen, seeing yourself in media. It's it's the same thing like uh, how to put, back in the day, I think it was, uh, it was the one by Adam Sassler, was it X-Play? The one, uh, yeah, uh, anyways, so back in the day, <laughs> even right now, right, kind of funny, uh, you know. Yes. What 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 was it? The the one that just shut down last year. Uh, that, uh, that that look. Giant bomb? No. Not giant, giant bomb. The the one before that. The, the one they they put tons of money in. Still uh, was with Adam Sessler. That one. So, anyways, you, we can edit it later. So the thing is, relatability. Because when people look at all this content, like like you said just now, you go to Twitch, you go to YouTube, you go to whatever, you don't see themselves. You, they 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 feel that. Oh, I can see. Uh, you know, uh, a white guy, a white girl, and that's it. Our host on uh, main game is Ifa, a girl, a Malay girl with tudung, hmm. and uh, and she's uh, she's uh, actually uh, an anchor on RTM, and she's you know she's very enthusiastic, willing to learn, um, high energy, and I think it's good because it shows that hey, hold on, a Malay girl with headscarf. On TV, talking about video games and esports, talking about the history of esports, um, I hope it gives a lot of uh, inspiration to a lot of Malay women, Malay girls who are keen to get into this, get into the video game scene. But they might feel that you know what? I, I, I is there anyone in there? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there was one episode where we interviewed an esports athlete, a girl who is part of an all girls Mobile Legends team. So to me, that is what we want to do. We want to give, like I said, right? Uh, give the voice to the voice. Uh, you know, give the voice to the little guys. Yeah. Help, help prop them up, and I hope we've done uh, what we sought to do with main game. 
And I think season two have a lot of more stuff that we'd like to tackle. That's amazing. So just diverging a little bit to to still talk about the market in Asia. What do you think the state of you know the industry in Asia is like? Do you think young people can get work in this industry, like sustainable and secure work? Mm-hmm. What are they, your thoughts? I think they do, and part of our activities, uh, our events, and our collaborations in Kakuchipure with M, the the likes of MDEC, uh, you know, Malaysian stu- uh, PlayStation Studios Malaysia, or you know, all the publications here is to to raise awareness. Because people always think video games and esports is just about athletes, right? There's a whole ton of career opportunities there which people are unaware of. So that was why in some of our episodes, actually throughout the season one, we spoke directly to when we speak to local game devs, we also talk about their work culture, how they get into video games industry, funding, what they look for in creating their games. And you know how they put in representation into their games, um, because we want, we, like I said, we want kids, uh, we want viewers to see it and say, "Oh yeah, if my my kid likes video games, he said he wants to get into the scene. Oh, he, this is these are the type of jobs that he can get into." Hmm. So, the problem about not I wouldn't say the problem, but the hurdle right now is awareness. Yeah, awareness and perception, awareness about what can be done and perception about what it's all about. So we try to bridge it. We try to bridge that if you're already in the scene, you're already in the know, we'll try to help connect you with this one. But if you are keen, you want to get into which group that we should really cater ourselves? Teens, people who are just, you know, they are doing their PMR, SPM in the next couple years who are deciding their career decision in the next three, four years. And not just them, their parents. So so these are the core people that needs to be educated, needs to be, maybe educated isn't the right word, but these are the core people that needs to be addressed. You know, we need to address them. We need to, uh, what you call, talk about their fear, you know, ask them what their fears are about. And then we need to indulge them um, with all of this additional info that wouldn't have come to their plate. So hopefully, main game, which is a free-to-air TV, free programming. Uh, once it's done on air, it goes live on the RTM's, uh, RTM Click, which is uh, a VOD service. Uh-huh, so people, okay, yep. So people can always go back and just like rewatch. And so hopefully we have an archive of all of this new information. So oh, your kids want to get into video games? Oh, yeah, we have an episode about that. Oh, your kids want to get into esports. Your 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 little girl is interested in competitive sports. Oh yeah, we have an episode about that. Mm. Uh, so it it feels less of force feeding, and so right now in Asia, the perception about families thinking, oh yeah, you have to go for a professional degree. Back in the day, yes, when the parents were of those who were born in you know baby boomers and whatnot. Most parents right now are probably around our age, yeah. Um, Generation X, millennials, understand, you know, are more tech savvy. So the angle for them is more about assuring them that there is a career, there is a proper industry, and there is uh, a pathway 
to get into mm. it. So yeah. right now, so right now, so I've been talking to a number of um, institution of higher learning, colleges, universities, and whatnot, who are trying to, you know, create proper programs, not just esports, but also for for their students, for their activities to to perhaps if they want to get into it, it's something that they they they, they can look into, and. The good thing about Malaysia right now, the they are also aware. The Minister of Youth and Sports is aware. They want to introduce esports into the schools curriculum. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So through that, we are trying to work closely with that as well. Lah. spread the word, uh, help where we can, do as many grassroots events. Uh, because if you want to get into esports, you need to compete, and you yeah. want as many opportunity to compete. If you want to get into video games, you need to talk to the publishers or people who know, who are recruiting, who can guide you to follow that path. So, so we are trying to get yeah. it all the way down to the grassroots side. That's cool. Okay, so based on that, would you say that the the industry is is very healthy in Asia and and it's growing? Yes, relatively healthier. Um, it's much healthier than how it was five six years ago. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of um, good people who are doing a lot of good things, and they are, a lot of these people are also trying, experimenting new approaches in uh, not just only not only just to talk about games that they feel represent themselves, but also to share the hobby. Video games is being very very accessible and it kind of breaks that barrier especially that socioeconomic barrier that that's yeah. i think that that's always been the biggest block so i think it's much it's very very healthy right now and i think the government has shown some uh, awareness and willingness to participate learn and actually maybe even use it to their own advantage because yeah yeah because recently in malaysia you you are automatically eligible to vote once you turn 18 so some political parties or some sections might see this okay video games is a good way to connect with your potential voters so yeah that's you you do you right whichever whichever works best because a lot of uh, politicians right now it's more about being relatable yeah finding a common mm. ground So they see it from that perspective, good for them. So once you take all of that into account, you bundle them up together. I would say video games is in a a better state than it was before. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Especially, obviously, like I come from Malaysia, as you know, and I've been so out of the loop when it comes to gaming in Asia that it's actually quite nice to to almost see like my interests. Is starting to to be very popular from you know a government standpoint, because back in the day I never thought that the government would care about video games or care about being relatable. So it's quite quite nice to see now that there's like that bridging of gaps, so to speak. It's like, and uh... that leads me to my next question. Do you think then that the the Asian industry and the Asian market, do you think there'll be a point where one day it'll be? Almost on par with with the Western world, or is is there a way to bridge that gap, so that you know, we're all doing this collectively together from a global standpoint? I hope so, because I hope so. I really hope so. But my my 
I, I think I think just pre pre pandemic from the media standpoint, from the creator standpoint, I think there's somewhat of parity there, where everyone has equal access to certain things that's happening. Doesn't matter whether it's in the UK, in the state, and whatnot. Um, E3, you know, if you go to, if you go to E3 2018, 2017, you can see a diverse look, faces. You know, you have. You know, you have Asians, you know, you have Asians, you have Indonesians, Malaysians, Koreans, Taiwanese, India, and then you have, you know, the Westerners and whatnot. But once they, you know, right now when I see it, it's going back to that part where, oh, no, it suddenly feels like a white boys club again. Yeah. That's what I feel from how I see it. It's like, you, you're, they, they might think, oh, you're all the way in Asia. We're all the way here. They're only catering to Europeans and Americans. But people always forget that the biggest concentration of gamers are not in Northern America. They're actually in Asia Pacific. Mm. So I, what I wish is for brands to take a step back and don't paint every gaming market with the same brush. Yeah. Right? Mm, that's that's one. important. One. Number two. Understand your target market. It's like um, if you are looking into the Southeast Asian gaming market, you should have specialists or people who understand what works on the ground. Yeah. And you can't just simply, hey, I'm just going to call, oh, what, what, which publication has the highest number locally? Or call him, fly him over, and then just talk about a game and expect that game to suddenly, you know, you know, go really big in that market. No, it doesn't work that way. A bit of research, a bit of additional uh, respect to the market goes a long way. And don't just rely on olden days, oh, I'm just going to buy a banner and then that's it and geo-target it. It's, you want, I hope brands will put more effort to show appreciation to the players in the region. Um, one dollar, one American dollars in Malaysia is equivalent to one American dollars coming out of the States. So what makes Southeast Asian dollar, you know, one dollar that you, are, that you get here is less valuable? And no, it doesn't. So it, the more, I, I feel if they put a lot of effort and a lot of care, Southeast Asians, Asian in general, are willing to spend and are more than happy to show, show the love. Yeah, but I I just feel brands are just taking the easy way out and like oh you know just just follow what works five six years ago, and yeah, I I I, I hope that they look at, you know they 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 change the playbook you can change the playbook and understand the market, uh, realize that the Asian market is a different beast altogether. Yeah, definitely. And certain languages, uh, you know, you would, they would be surprised how. A country market is totally different just by the virtue of not using English. So, so that's yes, that's, that's yeah, very important. And I, I'm so grateful that you brought that up because I definitely see it from that point as well. I think at the end of the day, different cultures consume things in different ways, and you really have to understand those cultures. You can't just go, okay, this works in Europe and North America, so therefore it must work in Asia and Africa, for example. You know, like. Even Australia and New Zealand, yes, we're English speaking, but not everything works here the way it does in North America and vice versa. 
So it's really important to have, like you said, that respect for each region and each culture and, and the ways things work in each region. I yep. think that's that's really important. So I, I'm so grateful you brought that up. I don't really have any other the more serious questions for you, but I do have a fun question that I would like to ask because I want to end end the podcast on a, on a fun note. Not that, you know, everything we've talked about wasn't fun because it's very insightful, but I think uh, just to kind of take the seriousness away, if you could change one aspect in a game that you've played, what would the game be and what would you change? Game that I played I would like to change. I don't know. I'm, I'm a geeky statistician guy, so I play football manager every year. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the, my only issue about football manager is they don't show physical growth for the youth players, that's all. Ah. Uh, so it, so it, it's do like, they just stay youth? Like, do they... No, no, they're youthful. Just say you oh. you find a, a talent from South America and he's five feet two, and <laughs> he stays five feet two when he's sixteen, and he's still five feet two when he's thirty-two. So, <laughs> I, you know, humans grow. You know, so that's the only thing that I wish they introduced in Football Manager. That, that, that's, I wonder that, why they don't. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's why it's like it's like it's it's very trivial for me, but that's how I look at it because I like to. I like to hunt for uh, wonder kids, and then when you go for them, and then they tend to be very little, right? Oh yeah, five feet two, five feet one, South Americans. The next Leo Messi, and then he stays that height, and then you take him to Europe, and then he gets butchered by everyone because of his physical uh, limitations. Oh, so, yeah. Okay, that's. I never would have expected that as uh, the game and also what you would change, but I think that's a really good point. Personally, even if I were if I were a video game character, I'd like to think that as I grow older, I I change, I grow, yes. I you know. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there's a physical you know aspect, right? You know, when the player yeah. is injured for six months, obviously they probably grow fat or something. I don't know. I thought it would yeah. be a fun mechanic to add into the game, but that's just me. That would be quite fun, actually. I think so. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all the insights you've given us and, and some really, really good insights into the Asian market and how you set up your own brand and how you've approached things like main game with RTM. So I think it's it's been such an eye-opener. I thought I knew everything about Kakucho Pere, but clearly I've learned a lot from this conversation. So I really appreciate you sharing a lot of information. In terms of, you know, for our listeners, where they can find you or what's next for Kakucho Pere, where can they find you and what's next? All right. So obviously it's kakuchopure.com. That's where our main website is. Uh, we have the same thing on YouTube. I think we, we just broke 55 million views on YouTube. Wow, I think I saw that. Congrats. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we can hit 70 million by the end of the year. Uh, but that's just me being big pushy. I think you can do it. Yeah, let's 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 hope it works that way. Uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Um, I'm not sure whether we're going to be any longer on Twitter based on how it is right now. <laughs> Apart from that, our main game is we also add uh, past episodes of main game on our YouTube channel, and um, hopefully we will release an official announcement about main game season two, which is coming up real soon. And uh, you can even find me on Twitter. My name, Ken Leandri. That's about that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ken. Really appreciate you sharing your insights and your experience with us. 
And obviously, I am so excited for season two of Main Game. So look, I'll look out for the announcement when that comes out. And um, yeah, I, I just really appreciate having the time to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time. And hopefully, we, we will uh, we'll change the Asian market and the Asian landscape together, I think, <laughs> with, with you know, all of us coming together and doing some good work. That's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> that's it for this week's episode. I'm Miss Dears Geek, and that was Ken Leandre from Kakuchirpuri. Thanks so much for tuning in. And don't forget to check out our socials at EquivoxGG or get in contact at hello at Equivox.gg. Stay tuned for the next one at Equivox Unplugged.